It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Locked On Podcast Network presents Locked On Sports Today. The Atlanta Hawks finally traded John Collins. What's next for the perennial also-ran of the Eastern Conference? Also, the top pick of the NHL draft will be no surprise at all. And Georgia Bulldog fans, calm down. I'm Peter Bukowski, starting your day with the can't-miss stories and biggest debates in sports. You're locked on sports today. Searching all major sports. Found. Let's start with the biggest story. It was one of the most reliable narratives in NBA content making. John Collins, where was he headed? He's been on the trade block for years, it seems. He's having a block party on the trade block. Well... Now he's headed to Utah for Rudy Gay and a future second-round pick. Brad Rowland from Locked on Hawks joins me now. And, and Brad, the Hawks had plenty of opportunities, theoretically, to make this trade. Why was this the right time and the right package? Yeah, I think there's a lot of things there. They, they probably should have done this a year or two ago, if we're being honest. And maybe it's not even revisionist history. I think that's kind of just actively the case. They would have gotten more for him. A year ago, two years from now, two years ago, but they kind of waited too long and it got to the point where they were, I don't want to use the term desperate flippantly, but they were, uh, let's say eager or urgent, however you want to say that to shed salary. And Collins has been the guy that's been the most prominently on the, on the block for quite some time. And if you look at the return, there really was no return. This is essentially a straight salary dump to clear the books. And you could argue both sides of that, but that's what it is. And the Hawks got basically nothing back for him. So in the end, it, it's sort of a sunk cost thing, but uh, that's that's why it happened now as they sort of set the table for the, for the future and really even the present. They cut money now, they cut money in the future. And uh, I guess that's why they did this, but uh, certainly not exactly selling high on John Collins. And, and I think that raises an important question. Like wh- why did this not work out? Because when you look at at least the best version of John Collins, that was a really nice, useful player that every NBA team would want. Is he going to be the best player on a title team? No, of course not. But so why did this not work out? I think it's a lot of things. And really what it comes down to is the role that they asked him to play and kind of shuttered him into playing. Um, and he did he, he did what he was asked to do. But I think no one that took a step back and said, okay, is, is John Collins playing optimally for John Collins right now? And the answer would definitely be no. You're playing him next to a center that couldn't shoot and either Capella or Kongwu. They're two, they're, two, they're two very good centers, but neither one of those guys are shooters right now. And then it came to a head even more so this year when Collins had about a three or four month shooting drought. And that really kind of put a magnifying glass on the entire thing because it was working to a point because he was making three pointers. But even though that's not really his strength, he was making enough of them in the previous couple of years. This year, he stopped making them. They also threw in DeJounte Murray in the mix, who's more of a mid-range shooter, a little bit less of a floor spacer that had less space overall. And all those things put into one. They were asking Collins to be this floor spacer and he can kind of do that. But that's not what he's supposed to be. That's not what he is and sort of what he excels at. So that's the long version of the offense. And that's really the, what, what it comes down to. They, they, they want something else from their power forward position offensively. And I think objectively, this is not the way that Collins wants to play and probably should be playing. So how does Atlanta fill whatever minutes that you're missing from John Collins? Because he did give them minutes. Someone who could at least theoretically space the floor. You mentioned the shooting drought. But with someone that was a pick and roll partner for either Trey Young or DeJounte Murray. 
um, and and had flexibility positionally, at least to a degree. So where are they turning now? Yeah, that's the question. I mean, there's two obvious answers, and they're very, very different players. They they acquired Sadiq Bay for the price of five second-round picks at the deadline back in February. Uh, he is much more of a floor spacer, not nearly the athlete or the defender, not as big as John Collins, but someone who can who's a flat-out high-end shooter. That's his prominent role. Defensively, he struggles, but that's that's what he's there to do. And then you have Jalen Johnson, the their first-round pick from two years ago, who's very, very talented, but almost a not a total non-shooter, but not a good shooter, much worse shooter than even Collins is right now, but a very, very skilled perimeter guy, great athlete, 6'10", and they kind of have you know two different approaches there. Plus, DeAndre Hunter can play a little bit at the four as well. He's more of that combo 3-4. So they have options. They have reasonable depth, and I think that's kind of the bet they're making, that they'll be able to kind of piece it together without Collins. But I still believe they got worse today, and I think they probably have to acknowledge that. But there is a path forward to where they don't have to – something have an urgent need at the power forward spot. We have to ask the question about capital T, Trey Young, because everything that this franchise does – you just have to think about, okay, what does this mean for Trey Young? What does this mean for DeJounte Murray? So when you look at what the future of this team is, you said there's a pathway forward to being better. What is that pathway with these guys? Because there's going to come a point where the team is going to have to make a decision. Does Do these guys make sense? And anything you do that doesn't get you closer to figuring that out is probably a waste of time. Maybe that's part of this. Yeah, I think they're in the middle now of what I would hope, honestly, is kind of a retooling phase, not a full-blown rebuild, but they were kind of capped out and almost taxed out on a team that has been in the play in two years in a row. That's not where you want to be. And I think that they are, one thing is very clear, they're still building around Trey Young. Trey Young is the only guy that's been untouchable in trade talks. He is in a tier by himself. And DeJounte Murray is certainly their number two guy right now, but he was available and maybe still is available in trade talks. I'm not sure they're shopping him, but he's not he's not off limits in the way that Trey is. So they're kind of building around Trey first, DeJounte second. And with DeJounte hitting the market potentially in a year, they can't necessarily just full-on bank on DeJounte Murray being there. So they have to kind of form this whole thing around Trey Young. It seems like I'm sure Trey's been in the loop on this stuff. And, you know, it, it wouldn't be a surprise to anyone like it is to me or you that John Collins is out the door. But, you know, it's one of those things where Trey has to be the centerpiece of everything. And they're trying to figure it out around him, because to this point, since that conference finals run, the last two years have been really kind of in the wilderness for this team. And when you're not cheap and you're in the middle of, in the middle of the league where nobody wants to be, that's kind of the panic area around the league. Stay up to date all year on the Atlanta Hawks by subscribing to Locked On Sports Today and Locked On Hawks on your favorite podcast app and on YouTube. Thanks for making Locked On Sports Today your first listen. Coming up, the top pick in the upcoming NHL draft should not surprise anyone. Before we get to that, though, is there any player in the NHL that is better than Connor McDavid? Baseball season is in full swing, and there's no better place to get in on the action than FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Because right now, new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's up to $1,000 back in bonus bets if your first bet doesn't win. Just go to Fandle.com slash LockedOn to join today. The Pirates host the Padres, and oh, how the turntables. After an amazing start to the season, Pittsburgh has fallen hard. Fandle has the Pirates as home dogs of the Padres, plus 152 to win. So don't miss your chance to snag a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 when you join FanDuel today. Just go to FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to sign up. FanDuel, official partner of Major League Baseball. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. 
Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Now, here's what you need to be locked on today. Edmonton Oilers center Connor McDavid swept the NHL's top individual awards to cap his career best season at the NHL Awards on Monday. McDavid won the Hart Trophy as the league's most valuable player and the Ted Lindsay Award as the NHL Players Association's most outstanding player. It was McDavid's third Hart Trophy win, having been nominated five times. McDavid also became only the third four-time recipient of the NHLPA Most Outstanding Player Award, joining Wayne Gretzky and Mario Lemieux. When it comes to hockey, there is no better company to be in than those guys. And to answer the earlier question, is there a better player than Connor McDavid? No, there's not. We, we knew that one. Talk about revenge. LSU followed up the beating they took in game two of the men's college World Series final by obliterating Florida 18-4 in the decisive third installment. The college World Series win for LSU is its seventh in program history, but first since 2009. The Tigers scored six times in the second inning and never looked back. Starting pitcher Thatcher Hurd tossed six solid innings of two-run ball to lead LSU to the win. Thatcher Hurd is an incredible LSU name. Just incredible. Over on the professional diamond, the Angels hosted the White Sox. It was Super Halo brother Johnny's three-year wedding anniversary on Monday, and the Angels gave him and his wife the best gift of all, a victory over the Chicago White Sox. Hey, everybody, it's Mike Frisch, one half of Locked on Angels. Angels win 2-1 to one in Anaheim over the Sox on Monday night, and they did it on a walk-off pass ball. Here's what happened. Cue that dramatic music. Mike Trout gets a walk. Shohei Otani gets a walk. They do a double steal, and then the ball gets away from Grandal, the catcher for the White Sox, and Trout ends up scoring the winning run. Again, 2-1 to one over the Chicago White Sox. This was on the back of Reed Detmer's incredible pitching performance. Seven innings, ten strikeouts, looked fantastic, and the Angels find themselves in the middle of this wild card race, looking fantastic just a half game out. John and I are going to recap this game on Locked on Angels. We hope you'll join us. And the Reds and Orioles played a game that fans of Slip and Slide would love. What was it they say about baseball? It's really easy. Everything always goes your way. No, it's hard. What's up? This is Jeff Carr from the Locked On Reds podcast. And the Reds have proven over the last three games as to why baseball is not an easy game to play. You can win 12 in a row and then turn around and lose three in a row. And in some cases, it's not even really their fault. I mean, the rain was absolutely killing them tonight. Uh, Monday night's game against the Orioles was really just predicated by a huge rain delay. And one team that has a very deep bullpen that is not hurt in the Baltimore Orioles against a team whose bullpen is gassed, tired, and lots of guys on the injured list in the Cincinnati Reds. I really don't know what else more you can... I mean, I mean, Jake Wong is not going to be pitching meaningful innings for this team in September. All right. On to the next one. 
there's another story you need to know. Our Locked On NHL host put together the Locked On NHL mock draft. There was no mystery, though, as to who should go number one overall. So, yeah, let's get it started with pick number one. Now, I don't think this comes as any surprise. I think this is a lock. Uh, Connor Bedard at number one overall is a fantastic selection. Um, and I don't think there's any doubt at that point. Do you? No, I, I don't. And I guess the question I had for you, you know, people talk about Bedard being a generational talent. But, yep. you know, what does that mean when, when you really break it down? What is the difference between the best available prospect in this draft and that rare occasion when we have a generational talent for me for Bedard he is a generational talent and what that means really is a player who comes with a skill set that you very very rarely see a, a player that's a game breaker a player like Connor McDavid who's going to change the course of a shift on his own single-handedly not just once or twice a year but on a game-by-game -game basis I think that's what Bedard brings to the game um, pretty consistently. There were some concerns with this game at the start of the year. There were some questions about whether Adam Fantilli was a better prospect overall, given his more well-rounded skill set. I will be the first to admit Bedard was a liability in his own zone in the first half of the year. But as the year went on, you saw some progress. You saw an uptick in the effort level, even despite the fact that the Regina Pass are struggling to get into that playoff race. I mean, for me, the progression in Bedard's game for a player who already had the skill set of a number one overall pick is just absolutely absurd. And what is it that makes him so special? What are the skills that just make him a generational prospect? First, he has a another worldly shot. I believe that by the end, by by his prime, he's going to be the best scorer in the NHL by a country mile, and that's including the likes of Austin Matthews and man. He just his curl and drag shot is on par with Matthews's already. Um, yet on top of that, his off-puck movement, his ability to find space, his ability to play between checks, to find soft ice, just his ability to manipulate defenders as well, to change the angle of his shot, to shoot through defenders, under their sticks. He can score in so many different fashions that, for me, it's no concern at all. He's going to be a top-end, probably the best scorer in the draft, um, not just the draft, but in the whole NHL by his prime. And he's pretty much the only player who I think is in contention with McDavid in terms of dynamism and playmaking ability and just the overall package. I think he's the only prospect we've seen lately who has even a slight chance of competing with McDavid for the best player in the NHL. And, I mean, his skating's really really high end his playmaking improved so much as the year went on you know he started getting triple teamed and quadruple teamed by defenders uh, on the other side he had to adapt he had to find ways and his adaptability is so high end for a player with that skill set usually guys that good with the puck don't need to adapt because they can play through anyone in juniors right but for me what really surprised me with Bedard is how adaptable he is how how capable he is of kind of molding his game to the scenario for me it's just it's He's got otherworldly skill and the mindset and adaptability to make his game better as he grows. So, yeah, no doubt in my mind, he dug a trench between him and Fantilli at the World Juniors, and he's just gone up from there. Catch all the Locked On NHL mock draft on the Locked On NHL channel. Find it on your favorite podcast app and on YouTube. Coming up, why do some people think the Georgia fan base is a top fan base in the SEC? Because they aren't. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. 
If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Feeding the daytime television feeling of the SEC are its many rabid fan bases. But whose is the best? As Zach Blackerby and his guests discuss Unlocked on Auburn, there is no chance Georgia has a better fan base than Auburn. We, we polled all of the Locked On hosts, and here's what we came up with when we asked everyone who are the top five fan bases in the SEC. The poll came back as LSU at one, Georgia at two, Auburn at three, Alabama four, and Arkansas at five. Now, if you would have told me going into it, okay, the results, Auburn is the third best fan base in the SEC. I think I would have been like, yeah, okay, that sounds about right. I could see how a poll would certainly do that, Daryl. But having LSU and Georgia ahead of them, I'm more okay with LSU. Georgia being ahead of Auburn is a joke. Yeah, it is. Absolute joke. That's my First of all, a couple things. Number one, the criteria – is very interesting to me. Is it most when you say top five fan base? Is it passionate fan base? Is it loyal fan base? Meaning, are they are they you know front runners? And that's when I'll get to George in a second. And I love talking about other schools because it just they just it endears themselves to me, right? Uh-huh. I think that, and also you got to look across all sports. So is this just a football top five fan fan base poll or? Because Kentucky basketball is as rabid as anything I've ever seen, but they're very apathetic when it comes to football. So let's talk about this. I agree with you. Georgia being two, to me, is a joke for what you just mentioned. Georgia comes across elitist. They come across a little bit of an arrogant fan base, but they're nowhere to be found when they suck. Georgia, to me, turn, come, comes across a little bit as front runners. When they're winning national championships, they're in the, in the crowd with dog collars on and barking like dogs. But I didn't see that in the late 80s when I moved here. In the Ray Goff years, it, it was apathetic. Alabama, Auburn, and even Tennessee. Look, you can talk about top five fan bases, but a fan base that is so passionate that throws golf balls at Lane, Lane Kiffin, it was passionate. They are loyal. They are all in. I'm not condoning that. But I'm saying that's how passionate they are about no matter what happens, no matter the dark, dark times they've gone through, Tennessee, they are still big orange through and through and passionate. So Yeah, Tennessee would, should be a top five. They should sure. be top five. I would take Arkansas out of that list. I just think when you look at it, I mean, LSU one is fine. Georgia is not a top five fan no. base, in my opinion. Auburn is, is in there. I don't think Alabama's there because if when your coach has to kind of say, please stay in the stands where we're killing people, that's not a good fan base. Get out of here with that. Listen, my college sports fandom goes back to message boards. So I have a longstanding history of understanding how these fan bases can get. Early Twitter, proto Twitter, the most toxic conversation you could have on that platform was about college football. So I like my mentions just like the way they are, maybe a little less dumpster fiery. I'm not trying to wade into this. I'm sorry. I can't. I can't do it. I just had a baby. I need a break. You guys have to fight this out. You guys have to figure it out. I'm not jumping in. I'm not playing referee. Have at it. 
And finally, number one draft pick in the NBA, Victor Wembanyama, has decided not to play for France in this summer's FIBA World Cup and instead will focus on preparing for his rookie season with the San Antonio Spurs. Also, next year's Olympics happens to be in Paris. Wembanyama said it would not be realistic in terms of development and not prudent in terms of health. He went on to say the Spurs were going to support whatever decision he made. I have to think Greg Popovich is happy about how it turned out, though, and maybe had some input, maybe had a suggestion like, eh, uh, here's a nice bottle of wine. Maybe don't do that. Thanks for making Locked On Sports today your first listen. Now go find your favorite team's Locked On podcast and make them your second listen. Coming up tomorrow, where could Damian Lillard end up if he leaves Portland? So at least until tomorrow, stay Locked On Sports today. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.